All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Kente Corner, your favorite casual Hoya basketball podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Bancroft, and I'm joined here today with two of our favorites. We've got Nationwide Nolan, we've got Marcus Washington at MTC with Mook. Sorry, I should say Nationwide Nolan, that is his Twitter handle as well. And guys, it's great to have you here. I'm not going to lie, the outline and the reason why I brought you here changed during the day everyone obviously knows by now this is the second pod kudos wahab has announced that he is entering the transfer portal at georgetown which was a complete stunner and what i wanted to do with you guys was because i value and followers and the listeners value you guys from the x's and o's position i wanted to go back and talk a little bit about colorado and what happened what went wrong what went right not a whole lot went right look at the ncaa tournament look at the big east teams that are still standing but because of all the Wahab stuff, we're going to focus a lot on that as well. But let's start with the Colorado game. Georgetown lost to Colorado in the first round of the tournament. We all know that. It was pretty much never competitive after the first five minutes. Marcus, since you were on all of the Big East tournament postgame pods, and maybe this is your fault, you could not come on after the NCAA tournament, let's start with you, and particularly from X's and O's, when did you feel like Georgetown needed to just completely scrap their game plan and go with the plan B? Probably about midway through the first half when they were struggling. It was obvious that they were sagging back on those screen and roll actions. So uh, Wahab was sagging in. Now, I'm sure he wasn't supposed to stay as long as he stayed, but obviously they were slumping in, almost inviting the three. Once the three-pointer started going, um, you had you had to change that. I thought maybe you – you have Dante Harris either get in the trail and then wall off from the middle as opposed to trying to hedge and help and then get back to the shooters because it was obvious that they were not going to be able to get back um, to the shooters. But it's what I've spoken um, before the Colorado game. When you have a point guard like Wright who not only gets his own offense, but he gets his own offense um, by giving the ball up and coming back to the ball in action when the defense is moving. And you saw early on, they, they, he gave the ball up. He went down. He made that screen for the flex cut, and then the down screen comes, and boom, he has it with the defense shifting and everything else. And that's when he becomes extremely aggressive and becomes good. And he becomes good not only as a scorer, he comes good as a passer. So you had to scrap that about midway through the first half, uh, going to the end of the first half, you had to come up with whatever your plan B is. Um, I hate to throw things out there because I'm not in practice, so I don't know what his alternative is yeah. in, in that um, case. But I would have stayed with the guys. I would not have um, hard hedged. I would have been in trail and probably tried to walk. Look, you have uh, three, four, seven-footers on the roster. I would have tried to wall off from the middle as opposed to trying to uh, hedge and then recover because – that that just did not work. Nolan, you haven't been on in a while. You know, not a lot changed since the last time you were on as far as who Ewing was playing basically in the Big East tournament. He kind of shortened his roster, although we saw more Holloway than Sibley. What was kind of your reaction when it started to go bad, and what were you hoping to see? Yeah, I think Marcus covered it. it part of it, too, is it was bad luck. There was some of that involved too. I mean, you could have took everybody off the floor in Colorado, might not go sixteen or twenty-five from three. Um, yeah. The Walker kid going five for five. What did he have? Four in the first half. Like, for some, I mean, they made their shots, and it just got to a point where it just got away from you. But it, it was midway through that first half. I agree. Where it's like, okay, you. I mean, even if this is bad luck running to a hot shooting team, you got to switch something up. The unfortunate part is, I mean, we talk about Wahab and his limitations defensively, but if you saw what Florida State did to them um, over the weekend where they can just switch one through five, you know, it'd be nice to say, okay, well, maybe Q can't do that, but let's switch one through four. But you can't do that because Dante is so small. So you're kind of in this position where it's, I don't think they have many counters when a team gets going like that. So at the same time, it's like, okay, well, I just saw you shut down a Creighton team that is a little bit similar with their ability to shoot the ball. So I think you had your worst day and they had their best day and it's, and you didn't have much to counter with. 
So it, it was just an unfortunate uh, circumstance to be in. But at that, you know, you get 10, 12 minutes in the game, you got to start throwing everything, the whole kitchen sink, because you got to throw something out there and see if anything can stick. And they just they just kept rolling with the, the same old stuff. I pointed out in the post-game pod to that was it was almost, it didn't happen the exact same way, but it was similar to their last loss, which was at Connecticut, where, you know, you're down by 20-something at the half. And, you know, in both games, they had a big offensive second half. It wasn't enough. I think they had 58 at UConn in the second half. They had 50 against Colorado in the second half. I'm not going to lie. I know that you can't just say, well, you know, just go smaller and figure it out. That's obviously not the solution. And that's not what I was meaning when I was tweeting that. But at the same time, when you're down 24 at the half, I was a little bit surprised that they stuck with, let's just go into Wahab. You know, Blair didn't start the second half. And also around the, the, the time that you guys both mentioned, around when the game was really getting away from them, I don't know if it's unlucky or whatever, you know, growing up and watching old basketball, the foul that Walker had on Ego F.A., you know, as a kid, I would never think that's something you get thrown out for. But watching it as an adult in the year 2021, I was a little bit surprised that they didn't toss him. Georgetown still could have gotten their doors blown off, right? But it just seemed like that was a really bad foul. Ego F.A. missed the free throws. Okay, that's going to happen. And then it seemed like the refs reached, in my opinion, to sort of even it up, if that's even a thing, by calling, mm-hmm. you know, don't, I mean, you can always call moving screens if you want. Ego F.A., I think, got tagged for an illegal screen. Can I get both of you guys' opinion on that part of the game you know did you think it was a flagrant two what'd you think and did it seem like georgetown just i mean they just came away completely empty marcus well in today's basketball i am a little surprised that he wasn't uh thrown out to be honest with you just because house rough you're right you know i played in the 80s obviously in the 80s you wouldn't have been thrown out probably would have been a lot of posturing going on after it happened um but in today's basketball, basketball is not played that way anymore. And if you went by today's rules, yeah. And, and you're right. Then after that, it does come into this little even up thing. I used to always say that about um, the 80s NHL, especially in the playoffs. You knew in late in that third period that there was going to be an even up penalty coming. And, and that's what that almost felt like um, with it. And, and, and Georgetown, again, I, it probably wouldn't have changed the results because they had their own um, their own issues. But you're, you're right. Uh, in today's basketball, you would have thought there was going to be more done about it. Yeah, for me, do you remember what when that happened, the exact time, or roughly, Bobby? I think it was about, like, they. I don't even think that they were down 10 at that point. Okay, yeah. So I had a friend message me, and he was like, an old Georgetown team would have used that as a rattling point. Yeah. Which was, for me, was disappointing that it just got worse after that point. Um I'm with you. I thought that was a makeup call that they called on the moving screen. I think Tim probably was owed that a little bit for his reaction, at least in the ref's mind, um, when he kind of saw oh, yeah, that yeah. walk. Yeah. But, yeah, I, that was a pretty bad foul. And the amazing part to me was they show Walker afterward, and he was like, what did I do? I mean, are you kidding me? You <laughs> you horse-collared the kid. Um, yeah. But yeah, my my biggest disappointment was there was they didn't use that um, to kind of galvanize and, and get things going, and it just kept going in the opposite direction. Oh man, I was hoping you would keep talking for a second. I'm trying to find it. I can't. But it definitely they were down. It wasn't that bad at that point. And when I say that, I mean it wasn't even. It got bad. I mean it got it got late early, and mm-hmm. it was still in the balance there. And that's the kind of possession where if it turns into a you know, a four, a four or five point possession. I think it was, it looks like it might've been about 28, 17. I was going to say, I, I was rewinding. Cause I actually, I still have the game on my TV. Yeah. I was rewinding Same. it as you were speaking to find it. I think it's at 28, 17. So basically it's a little bit further apart than I thought it was, but you're still talking it's within the balance at that point. Like you make those free throws, it's 28-19. You score, you know, it's 28-21, 28-22. So that was definitely a huge moment. But I'm not going to – I'm in no way trying to say that the game was lost right there. But it was not a good part. And I was a little surprised that they didn't throw them out. And I was a little surprised that they looked to do a makeup call. 
Okay, so we could talk about the Colorado game forever. It wasn't a very pleasant experience. Uh, we should probably stop speaking about it. So do you guys, you guys are regulars on Kente Corner, great, great contributors, great guests. How surprised were you for the Wahab news? I assume you haven't had a chance to listen as we're recording this on Thursday night to the pod I put out earlier with Andrew and Ben. I think that for me, and if you're a listener, you're hearing it again, it's fine. You can you can indulge me. I think that it's the most surprising transfer. I think it's more surprising than Akinjo. I think it's more surprising than McClung. And I'm just going to limit it to those. I don't think we needed to get into the, you know, Antoine Walker, LeBlanc, but let's just limit it to those three. Where Where would you guys rank it, Nolan? Yeah, probably the most surprising. It's, I mean, if you just view it from afar, it's like a developing big kid who's made progress freshman and sophomore year. He got a ton of time as a freshman, starter from day one sophomore year. You're learning under Hall of Fame center. Um, local kid, went to high school in the area, set for a big junior and senior season and he's the one that goes it is it's shocking and everything seemed to be on good terms the whole year with him um and there was that one game where tim started over him but i didn't think much of that and i totally forgot about that until someone pointed out on twitter not too long yeah. ago i think it was philly hoyas and i think it was actually on on cutis's birthday was it okay yeah, yeah that was what or that was the first game back from uh the pause so maybe that was related to it um because that was that providence game but yeah, number one for me. I mean, I did not see that coming at all. Um, just it, it makes no sense to me. I mean, my only hope is I, I hope that was his own decision. That's all I'll say about it. And Marcus, before you let me know what you think, I also want to point out that based on all the zooms that we've been on with Ewing since you know the end of the season, or not the end of but the end of regular season they're all the big east tournament zooms and the NCA lead up zooms and also all of those moments after each of the big east tournament wins Ewing would have a couple minutes on Fox to talk to Lavin and to Stone and to Donnie Marshall and it just seemed like he was going out of his way to just praise Wahab to levels that I thought I was like, wait, I don't think he's that at that level yet. But, you know, that's what that's what coach was seeing, and they kept winning. So he was just feeling the moment. So I, I just want to add that in as well to just how surprising it could have been. So, like I said, McClung, Akinjo, Wahab, where would you kind of rank it and just sort of surprise? For me, it's the top, especially when you consider in the first half of the Georgetown game, uh, the guys that were calling the games uh, made a comment that Ewing had said, and I wrote this down, that he had a dream that Wahab could be the best big man in Georgetown history. Yeah. Now, you don't say that about a guy that you feel like has had a year where there's some some tension or, you know, you kind of had some back and forth with. That's a guy that you think that, at least from your end, that you want to be here. So it makes me think that this is 100% on cues in that he didn't want to be here. My question is, what's next in this sense? And I'm talking about purely about development. Um, I'll say the same thing I'll say, I said about Walker Kessler down at North Carolina. It is very hard to find a program that is a top-notch P5 program that will even be willing to even entertain the thought of playing a traditional big in a traditional way. At Georgetown, they'll run a lot of four-out, one-in high, declare the backside for them. They'll put him in screen and roll so he has all these rim dives and rim runs for a non-athletic big who cannot stretch. So, again, my question is, is if you're looking to make an apples-to-apples transfer, and heaven forbid, if you're trying to make a transfer above those apples, I don't know where you go who's going to put time in your development the way that Georgetown put time in your development, at least in Kessler's case, you can say, well, there was always talk out there that he thought that Roy was going to let him stretch out, and then Roy didn't let him stretch out, and then you had the two COVID-19 breaks with him. That's a little different. There was more things going on there, even though it was still uh, kind of strange with him. But with, with Kudis, it's even stranger with him, considering that I just I would like to see where he ends up and what sort of effort they put in his development in comparison to Georgetown. because. I mean, a, a team easily could just use them as a rim protector. Oh, we're going to just use you in screen and roll. We'll use you as a rim protector, and then that's it. And then what? What did you transfer for? Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. If you look around the country, I mean, 
it's probably single digit programs that you could say is a lateral or moving above this level. I mean, you talk about Michigan, Gonzaga, North Carolina, maybe a program like Purdue that actually utilizes their bigs. I mean, the rest of these schools that come after them that recruit them, they're going to be lying to them saying, we'll utilize you better. There's, I mean, I think who is the runner up from Pitt? Like, is Jeff Campbell yeah. really going to come in and say, hey, we see what Georgetown did wrong with you. We're going to, we're going to utilize you better. No, that's, you're lying, which, I mean, that's part of this whole deal is these coaches, I mean, I'm not saying this was the case with Wahab, but they tamper with kids, they get in their ear, and you end up with just decisions that just seem bizarre. So if you guys had a chance to listen, I had, I, it's a great podcast, not anything because of I did, except for booking Greg Malinowski. I thought he was a very honest and kind of gave us a little bit of a peek inside of what's going on when you're a player at Georgetown, particularly under Ewing. He's the first Ewing recruit that we've had on here. And one of the things you, you just kind of reminded me of, of what you said, both of you guys, is that Greg said after graduating Georgetown and looking for agents and figuring out where he's going to play, he realized like how much there's people out there that will tell you what you want to hear. And Patrick Ewing is always telling you what you need to hear, which might not be the nicest thing or might not always make you feel like you're the top guy. Now, I should say that as a couple of minutes ago, I just said how he was always praising Wahab. So I'm not trying to say like he was always too hard, but it does seem like whoever's telling him, whoever's advising him to do these things, it just it seems hard from where we're sitting on Kente Corner, which is a podcast for Georgetown fans. Um, it's for anybody, but it's mainly for Georgetown fans that who's going to do a better job of Kudus Wahab than Patrick Ewing. So let, let, let me ask you guys this. Can either of you guys make a case for leaving Georgetown? Just try and put yourself in the position of a big that's improved. We don't necessarily have to be Kudus, but just the idea. What would be what would be the positive, you think, for either of you guys that to, to leave this program? Go ahead, Marcus. Um. I don't know. The only way I would leave is if I'm being told, hey, look, guys, we're going to go to a modern, uh, a more modern approach on offense, and we're going to do stuff like what Villanova does, uh, more of a four-out-one-in, which is different than the four-out-one-in that Alabama runs. Maybe you go more Alabama style um, where there are some actions that I don't feel comfortable in that I'm not athletic to play, um, those type of deals. I, I don't see Patrick Ewing switching to that anytime soon. I had this conversation with someone earlier. Um, the, the problem, and, and I, I, don't, I don't want to steer away from what your question is, but I, I'm yeah, going to go fine. off on just a little bit of a tangent here. Um, yeah. I think the problem is once some of these big-time college medias that will always media people who always want to make it a point to say, oh, when NBA people come down to coach college basketball, they do terrible. We have not seen anyone come down from the NBA to coach college basketball in this modern era in the way that the NBA is played today. You have not had that coach in college. Yet you have a coach like Nate Oates who took the NBA style, which he admits, even when I posted on Twitter and some guy came on there and said, oh, there's a huge difference. Nate Oates himself says, this is what we do. This is where we got it from. This is, it's an NBA style of playing that he ported into college. So, Short of that, someone coming down and telling them, hey, look, man, we're going to go ahead and we're going to fully embrace that. We're going to go and, like NATO said, we want 33 pointers a game. We're going to play fast. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Then I can sit around and say, ah, this is kind of a bait and switch because when I came here, this is not what you told me. But unless that happens, for me, it does not. I just, I'm still having a hard time getting my arms around it. Right. And and by the way, I, you know, and I'll, I'll get off this soapbox. When people say, you know, people like to bring up Chris Mullen, Clyde Drexler, those guys who, by the way, had zero coaching experience and would have failed on any level. I always notice the one one of the NBA players that they never bring up that has been successful and that has won a national championship is Tony Bennett, who was an NBA player who came down to coach college. Uh, I think people generally do that selectively to try to support a manufactured narrative. But anyway, um, if something like that happened, I can understand what Kudis, but I'm sure that didn't happen. That's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, I think people just probably forget, no offense to Tony, that he played 152 games, seven starts, 
three and a half points a game. But your point's taken. I think maybe because he's from a coaching family, it gets maybe like forgotten because his dad, you know, but that's definitely a good point. So Nolan, can you conjure up in the back of your head a way that this would make sense to you? You could have said he wants to go somewhere to win, but after you go on this run through the Big East tournament and get in get in the NCAA tournament, I mean, it seemed like everything kind of Colorado game aside, it was a you went out on a high note this year. I think we'd all agree, um, but I, I just don't understand it. I mean, if he goes, chances are wherever he goes, he's going to be asked just to be a role man on offense and protect the rim on defense. He's not going to get the ball to the, you know, the amount he did here. It's, I just don't see that happening. It's just hard for me to to come up with an explanation. I, I do think, you know, everybody's talking about the portal and how many kids are entering it. I I do think for them, everybody playing college basketball probably had somewhat of a miserable experience this year. They were, you know, they didn't get the regular college life being on campus surrounded by friends. Um, You had to be tested daily. So I could see where somebody said, this really sucks. I need to get out of here. Just feeling like they were trapped in that bubble, even though, you know, same circumstances existed everywhere. But I could see how these kids right now this week feel like, I just got to get out of here. I need something new, which would be understandable. So if that was a reason why, that would make sense to me. Um, But as far as the basketball fit, I, I don't understand it. And the fact that he was, you know, I, I posted, I counted up in the media guide that he was, if you add Blair and Kudis to the list, there's been 25 players that have made an all Big East tournament team from Georgetown at least once. Obviously, a lot of guys made it multiple times, including the current head coach. He's the first guy to transfer. Usually that's that's obviously some sort of indicator of, you know, if you make the all Big East tournament team, likely you're on a good team, right? Because that means you made a run. Usually times are going well. So none of those guys transferred. Uh, there was an asterisk. George Butler <laughs> was kind of like an in-between till Iverson got there. And he, he got dismissed se- uh, second semester. But none of the guys left basically on their own. So he got the name recognition. I know that there was a tweet by his handler, which is a weird term to even say, um, that you know there was something about winning. So maybe there's something where he felt slighted, like he wasn't an all-Big East performer. But you know what? When your team finishes eighth, you're probably not going to get a lot of accolades. That's just part of it. I mean, for as much time as we spend analyzing everything that goes on, I'm sure that when those coaches or those SIDs or whoever, assistant coaches, when they vote on these things, they're like, okay, Georgetown eighth. All right, who is their leading scorer? Blair, okay, sure. Then Blair got enough votes to be honorable mention. Like, it's not, it doesn't go too far from what I, the scenario I just presented. Okay. So, if it is the winning thing, I don't know. Noel, that's a good point. I had not thought of, you know, other schools in other parts of the country were looser during COVID, mm-hmm. right? Like there was places that had fans. I mean, I know watching some of those Texas Tech games this year that seemed like they were always on Big Monday. They had fans like in every game. You know, Georgetown, they didn't have media. So that could be a, you know, a part of it. We could see where he ends up transferring. Do any of you guys have any quick fixes in the transfer portal of all of the positions for Georgetown to be in the transfer portal for center was not on the top of my list. Given the fact that with Ryan Matumbo coming in, I was always thinking like, I didn't think, I didn't think Wahab was going to leave, but I wouldn't have been surprised if there was movement in the center position. Do either of you guys have a, a center or a big that might help Patrick Ewing get through this year? For me, not offhand, I would hope that this will be the year that he changes his roster construction. And someone brought up Florida State earlier and look to build a team like that, a team that can switch, a team that can come after you defensively in the way that Florida State comes after you. You have all these young guys. You have these young guys who are used to playing four out one in and and dribble drive and, and getting up into people's shorts. And I, I kind of hope that this can turn into a positive and maybe he starts to look within and maybe he starts to recruit different and, and play a different style, a more uh, athletic style, more of uh, a push to pace style. And instead of sitting back to, to kind of go and get people. Yeah. It, it felt like the sky was falling early today, but when you look at it, I mean, there's going to be well over, I mean, there'll probably be 1500 kids by the time this is over that are in the portal. Um, 
I did write down some, some specific ones. I mean, the perfect fit, just to continue what you're doing here, would have been Miles Johnson from Rutgers. Um, but apparently he'd prefer to go back home to California. And Georgetown does not have an engineering program, which interests him. But he <laughs> would have been maybe the most similar to Wahab. Trey Mitchell from UMass, he does not play any defense, but he is extremely skilled. Uh, really would be an offensive weapon. Who knows? He, everybody's going to be after him. Um, apparently, they had already reached out to the kid from Penn State, um, the big kid there. Harar, I think it is. I don't know. He seems like your run-of-the-mill average re- power five replacement. But there's not a ton. I mean, Kessler's the big one from North Carolina, but it, it seems like Gonzaga's probably his landing spot from what everybody thinks. There were a couple. I mean, there's Seth Pinckney, who's like a 7-2 kid at Quinnipiac that Georgetown actually wanted him to prep for a year, and then they would have taken him. But he decided he didn't want to do that and just went to Quinnipiac out of high school. He's been pretty unimpressive for two years in the MAC, which doesn't really bode well for moving up to the Big East. Um, a blast from the past is Diamond Kerrigan from FIU, who yeah. Patrick would know from Cambridge Ridge and Latin and BABC on the AAU circuit, which they never really got involved with him, which in hindsight makes sense because it seems like academics have not really been um, – a fit for Georgetown, who knows now? Maybe there's something there. He's just a shot blocker. So, yeah, unfortunately, center position, there's not – I mean, I, I'd throw everything at Miles Johnson and Trey Mitchell and see if either of them have interest. But, uh, yeah, it, it's a center spot right now and there. It doesn't seem very promising, but who knows what ends up there tomorrow. Um, they're going to keep coming. So this will be year five for Patrick Ewing. He had two years of Jesse. He had a year of Omir and then a year of Wahab. This is a year of starting, going into the season starting, even though Wahab did get to play probably a lot more as a freshman than any of us thought, which probably helped for this season. So of those previous four seasons, what do you think this season is most likely to be? Because obviously, you know, Jesse and Omir are not exactly like for like with a guy like um, Kudis. Do you think we're going to see... I mean, it's hard to imagine Patrick, even based on what we saw in the last game he coached against Colorado, in that he was he still wanted to play a certain way with Wahab. Do you think that they can, you know, is there a way that Ego FA can get coached up to a point where he starts and Matumbo spells him a lot? Do you think there's any role for Malcolm Wilson going away from that? You know, let's just say, I mean, good God, if if Belay comes back somehow, how would this affect how you think they look? I mean, I know I just gave a lot of different different options and different ways they can go. But uh, Marcus, what do you think is the most likely way that they go with, you know, with uh, Patrick approaching the five spot? Uh, I think that he'll give um, Big Tim every chance that he can give him the start and, and to play uh, major minutes. Uh, he's going to have to use Matumbo. He's, I don't think Wilson has much um, – I don't think he has – much value on the floor for them. I don't think that as far as Big Tim and, and Wilson, frankly, I don't think they can um, catch up enough to be impactful players on the offensive end uh, next season. They're just – that's not who they are. And I don't care if Patrick Ewan's their coach or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or, or Bill Walton or, or anyone else. <laughs> I don't think that's who they're going to be. And well, so, hey, I wouldn't again, mind – I wouldn't mind watching Bill Walton help with the uh, coaching, but that's, that's a different topic. <laughs> but no, I mean, so uh, if if Patrick force feeds it, uh, it can be disastrous. But if he's willing to kind of make some changes around the edges, use those guys more situational. Uh, go ahead and give Mutombo the minutes that you were so willing to give Akinjo in that freshman class. Would you kind of? lived with their mistakes and you lived with all those things, you might as well start that process now and at the beginning of the season because those other two aren't going to give you what Q gave you, at least offensively. And I I'm, don't even think even defensively that they'll give you uh, what Q gave you anyway. Nolan, do you think it would be wise to just just start with Ego FA and see where you go? Or how are you sort of seeing – it's shaking out, and do you think it would be positive to just next man up mentality? 
No, I, personally, I think it'd be terrible if they went down that route. I, I just don't see how. I mean, already this year, it felt like you were just trying to steal 10 minutes a game with Tim. Um, you want some breaking Big East news, Bobby? It's uh, Butler. I, I see it. I see it. Are coming back. Yeah. Can you believe so that? If team, yeah, if a team like that can have such a miserable season and all four of those guys want to run it back, I mean, if, if I'm Pat, I'm, I'm trying to re-recruit my seniors right now. Um, Marcus, I mean, you had, are you seeing this? No, what 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 flashed for Butler, Thompson, Nezzy, Bolden, and David all returning for next season. Oh, um, all had that <laughs> extra year to use if they wanted, and they're all using it. I'm a little surprised. That'd basically yeah. be like if later tonight Rothstein said that Blair, Pickett, Belay, and I guess we know about Kerry, but let's just let's just throw Kerry in there. They're all coming back. Jeez. <laughs> But to go with that, one avenue now is get Belay back, see if Jamarco maybe is interested. And, I mean, that at least might give you a small ball lineup to look at. But for the center position, I I think you really need to pick up a transfer now because I don't think – and I think Matombo has a promising future. But for next year, I I don't think you can just throw him in there as a starter. And my expectations for the other two are, are still pretty low. I think it's likely we see more roster shake up and that could, I mean, that's, I'm not really going out on a limb there. That basically means they could get another freshman. They could get a grad transfer, you know, or look, you could get a player to come back. I think I'm really pressing for BLA. I've given up on Javon. I think everyone knows I'm on team Javon. I think that his demotion to the bench and just sort of everything, the way the way, the way the end of the season kind of went that direction, aside from winning on the court, I could see him just sort of starting his career somewhere else. Jamarco, I'd be surprised if he came back. I think it's really. I, th- I think right now it's it's Belay or bust from the from the the seniors exercising their year. And also, look, I mean, there's some freshmen that didn't play this year that you know I don't know everyone's you know background between what their AAU coach is telling them. I don't know who has a handler. Hopefully, not that many people, or just who has you know a dad or a mom or an uncle or a brother. or you know, their neighbor thinks that they should be playing more. And, you know, there's some freshmen that probably thought they were going to play more. And I'm not trying to scare people, but I think it's also good to be ready if anything else happens. I mean, do you think that that's, am I, am I being too harsh now? No, I think a word of caution for the Georgetown fan base is don't get buddy buddy with all these parents and guardians and mentors and advisors on Twitter who, you know, their kid is at Georgetown, coming to Georgetown, and they're the biggest Hoya fan in the world, you have to remember their interest is that person. They, The program is secondary, so just uh, just keep that in the back of your mind. Um, and then the, the last thing on, on, on Wahab, and I want to talk a little NCAA tournament, non-Hoya's edition. The last thing is everybody wants to assign blame at every second. Whenever something happens, it's a one or a zero, right? It's black or white. I think when I look at this, I think that it's hard for me to blame Patrick and the staff for this particular departure. And I understand that Georgetown fans are very, you know, you're for as high as you were. Oh, and by the way, I don't know. I don't think if I told you or maybe Marcus as well, I'm still waiting to get my Big East tournament hat in the mail. Okay. Like I haven't even gotten the hat yet that I ordered after they won. And it feels like it was 10 years ago. Okay. <laughs> Actually, I got something in the mail today saying, or not in the mail, but I got an email saying that it was going to be here Monday, right around the time that Wahab News came out. But do we want to blame, if we have to blame right now, because everyone's got to get blamed immediately. You know, this isn't PTI around the horn, but it's Kente Corner. Are we blaming, are we blaming society, which is basically just 2021 transfer portal, or are we blaming the staff? And I, I think I understand why a lot of fans want to blame the staff is because they've just seen so many guys leave. But I think each case is its own thing. And in this case, I probably, I'm not, not probably, I'm not blaming the staff on this one. Marcus, who are you blaming? I'm really not blaming blaming anyone. Uh, I think (laughs) I'm one of those guys who I think it's a personal decision with that. Um, Yeah. Just for those who haven't heard me on here, you know, I I coach at one of the local high schools. I also coach for a, a program that is on one of the big major shoe circuits. So I have these conversations every day. 
I hear these conversations every day. Um, some of those conversations involve me. So this one touches to my heart. The only thing I'll say is uh, kids and parents are more informed, not always accurately. They have access to more information. You can debate whether the information is applied in the correct way. So I, I don't have a problem with the transfer portal having 900 kids. Uh, you get one shot at this. If you feel like another situation is better for you, fine. That does not mean that that other situation is going to be better for you. No different than transferring from a school as a regular student. So um, I'm not assigning blame to anyone. I think that on Wahab's part and whoever is handling this uh, decision, I just feel like it has not been thought out uh, completely and that I'm, they're going to find out that there is more of a risk of him taking a step backwards than taking a step forward. Yeah, I, I don't blame the staff at all. I, I think the staff has done a terrific job really in just the last 12 months, um, even with the loss of Q, where the program still appears to be headed. Um, I, I can't fault them for anything. Uh, transfer portal in itself, I'm all for the player empowerment. I, I do think, like Marcus said, sometimes the decisions might not be thought out um, all that well. I, I think a lot of times, even at the low major level, you know, everybody's approaching it as a business decision. There's only so many pro, pro jobs to go around where you know, a lot of times, I mean, you trade in a Georgetown degree, you're forget about the basketball part of it, you're probably taking a step down. Um, you know, people talk about a 40-year decision and everything. It's, I wish people would just take in the whole picture more often. Um, like I, I tweet out today, and this isn't to get on this kid. Um, so there's a kid at Siena who the coach invited as a walk-on, a local kid. He busts his butt. He ends up being a starter. Some injuries happen. He gets put on scholarship this year, has a nice year. And now he's transferring for a better opportunity. Like, it's just, you know, if a kid like that wants out and wants a better opportunity when he was given, a, when he was put on scholarship, it's just like, where is this headed? So it's just a lot of it feels reactionary. Um, and part of it's just a one-off thing just because you get the free, the free roll of the dice this year. So it might level off again. Um, so it's, it's a fine line for me where I, the player empowerment, these kids should have that choice. Coaches can move every year. Um, so I don't want to hear any complaining from them. But you just wish, for Q's sake and other kids' sake, I, I just hope they're the ones making the decision and it's what they actually want. And we're going to find out. It'll be interesting. Interesting. You know, that's the thing, too, is that Georgetown, for a long time, Georgetown was a school that when players left, they normally, and there's obviously situations, they would normally transfer down okay if we want to go up and down and the most recent transfers you know okay arizona wasn't eligible for the tournament but arizona's been in a better spot recently than georgetown so akinjo did he transfer up or down probably up right mcclung Mm -hmm. texas tech you know they were just the last time there was a national championship game they were in it okay up Uh, leblanc they were you know in the last time the sweet 16 was here in dc they were in it you know, up. It'll be interesting where where Wahab goes and when will when will Georgetown be seen as a transfer up? You know, we did see Omir transfer here, kind of for the reason you would think that Wahab wouldn't, right? Like he wanted to work with Ewing. Like he wanted to get better, give himself the best shot. And that's what I think Georgetown fans were all envisioning is oh my gosh, like we're gonna get all these big guys. They're gonna get all these five stars. We're gonna this is gonna be great, you know. And it's a little bit more difficult than that. So I think from a program, it'll just be interesting to see where the guys transfer to, how they do. You don't want to be a stepping stone type university in basketball wise. And I know Georgetown does not see themselves as such. They see themselves as a much bigger deal. So it'll be interesting to see where Wahab goes. Cause I imagine he's going to go to a, a place where we're going to consider it up. If we're being honest, if we're just being rah, rah, Georgetown, you, you can always find a reason that, you know, the, the other destination isn't as good, but you know, you guys, I think know what I'm saying. You know, yeah, what's it up? is happening everywhere. I mean, the Kessler kid from North Carolina, Duke just lost the top 50 kid yesterday. Arizona just lost the Baker kid today. It's, it's just hard to put a finger on what exactly is moving all these kids around that are at high profile programs in big roles on the team already. It's, 
I mean, it's it's just hard to hard to process some of it. That's that's definitely good a good way to keep me fair. I guess what I would say to that is just if everyone's going to have them, you want to work on a way to have less. And you mm-hmm. know what I mean. So now it's like you know, in 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 a basically a calendar year, you've had four guys transfer up. So you want to you want to keep it to you know maybe one or two or something. You know, you always want to just try and do a little bit better. And I think that's where the challenges and that's where they can kind of work. And I, you know, I do think they've done a good job recruiting and I've tried to be very positive on these podcasts and it became easier last week, you know, day by day. Um, and now, now we're back here. So the NSA tournament is still going on. It seems weird. This is Thursday night. Normally this would be the first night of the sweet 16 games. And I'm going to be honest to you guys. I thought that it would start Friday and it doesn't, it's Saturday. So I'll tell you about my bracket real quick. I've got one, two, three, four, five, six. I've got seven teams left. Does anyone, did anyone do better than that? No, my, mine is completely destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> I still have my, all of my final four left. And, um, which I don't think obviously will still be intact. Um, Ooh, after I know. this weekend, but, um, I I had Houston and and Arkansas. I had those teams going far. Uh, okay. Florida State. So um, for me, I'm kind of hanging in there. Uh, I'm bringing up my bracket now, and, and yeah, my final four was Gonzaga, Florida State, Arkansas, and Houston were my final four. Um, I had Gonzaga. I do have Gonzaga playing. Uh, USC, so I need for those guys to advance. Uh, so yeah, I, no, I, I still been... have some people there. So for you guys, two of the schools that Georgetown beat on the way to the Big East tournament are still alive. So two of the four teams from the Big East that made it are still playing. Creighton, who Georgetown demolished in the Big East final, isn't it crazy what like a week later can do for your for your overall just attitude? Um, or feeling and Villanova who's kind of playing on one leg uh, got the benefit you know I guess you could ask Purdue if it was nice to play North Texas but we got both of those schools left would you would you trade if you're Georgetown would you trade the Big East tournament for have made a, a run to the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight or is the Big East tournament too valuable to to turn away Nolan so am I assuming you had a regular season good enough to be uh, an at-large team? So, so yeah. So basically, yeah, basically you were just a normal at-large. You lost in the Big East semis, and but you somehow you made it to the Sweet 16 or Elite Eight. I'm not going to say Final Four, but you made it. Mm-hmm. So basically, like basically, the program has had two problems recently. They haven't had a Big East tournament in forever, or getting to the Sweet 16, which both happened in 07. What do you think is a bigger deal to get over? Unfortunately, I think winning the Big East tournament is great and it's awesome. Yeah. And now they've they've done it twice, you know, since basically the eighties. But man, like the stigma around the March Madness, I think is maybe a bigger deal national. I guess it just it's like, are you like micro or macro? I would have to say just based off two thousand one and two thousand six teams that were sweet sixteen. Yeah. I, I would take those over over this year. Um this year's run that week was awesome, but I, I think the two weeks you get in the tournament, um, yeah, I, I, I don't trade that. What do you think, Marcus? Yeah, I think um, just from a public perception, obviously making the run in the tournament itself is is a bigger deal. I think where the program is right now, I, I would put them on equal plane. I think Georgetown with this particular team and this particular coaching staff needed something that kind of stoked the memories of the past and nothing stokes the memory of the past as much as winning the big east tournament in madison square garden so i do think that in this particular case that it has probably higher value than it would usually have if the situation had been better you know for the last three or four years yeah i feel like i might can i amend mine bobby yeah, with fans with fans in attendance at MSG, I'm taking the Big East tournament. Okay, okay. I mean, I probably would too because that meant I would have been there. Yeah. 
<laughs> so if we could have been there Friday and Saturday night this year, that would have been, yeah. Yeah, I, I changed my decision. Yeah, I think I probably wouldn't even consider it a question if Georgetown had just lost a ho-hum 70-63 to 63 game, you know? But because we've got this, Georgetown just keeps happening to them. You know, this time they're the 12, so it's not nearly as bad. But they have this, you know, they get in the tournament and the team just can't miss. And I'd actually forgotten what that was like. Because when they were in it in 2015, it was kind of happening in the Eastern Washington game. And then they flipped the switch. And Trey Campbell hit a couple shots. Bradley Hayes came out of nowhere to kind of stabilize things. And they avoided it. And then they lost to a a Utah team that still has three guys playing in the NBA. You know, they lost by like 10. So that was a very, you know what? an admirable season. They lost to a team that just had more talent than them. It is what it is. So I think that the way that the loss happened kind of makes me want to ask that question just because it's like, man, like it's not that they just went to the tournament and lost, like they lost. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's been the theme. I mean, the, the Utah and NC state losses in the tournament are kind of, they've turned into the outliers when, when this program gets there, they, they go down in flames, unfortunately. You know what, though? And I didn't do it for VCU, and I was at the VCU game. Oh, I was at Ohio VCU um, and Gulf Coast. But I don't think they ever really got close in the VCU game. That was, you know, Chris Wright was hurt and all that stuff. But in the in the Ohio game, they got it to seven with, like, five minutes left, right? Mm-hmm. And I was, I was like, hey, I think they're going to do this. They're better. They have more talent. They didn't. I didn't feel the same way against Gulf Coast, but they got that to six with, like, a minute ten left. Yeah. Like, this Colorado game was nothing like that, man. Like it was, you know, like it was like it was thirty, and it was kind of thirty just the whole second half. And speaking of good and good themes, the pick that I'm most proud of, although this is a Georgetown podcast, so it's kind of crazy to say that, is I felt really good about Syracuse getting to this spot. And yes. can you guys believe the job? And again, you know, turn off now if you don't want to hear me talk about Syracuse, but. It's almost like, you know, they're not in the conference anymore and they're sort of just like your, I don't know, your your exiled family member that, you know, you meet up with once a year. But, man, Bayheim, for as many flameouts as he had in the tournament, in the last, you know, four or five runs, he just seems – he knows how to get it done. It's – I can't believe I'm even saying this. Yeah, I, I had them getting out the first weekend. I thought the bracket and how they played kind of played out very nicely for, for Syracuse, to be honest with you. But, yeah, Bayheim, when you have his, his back up against the wall, sometimes that's when he comes out and, and he gets he gets a run like this. So I don't like them. I, I probably harbor still more ill will towards Syracuse than a typical person. But I don't uh, like them either. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's certainly he should be applauded for the job that he did. Nolan, do you want to give any respect to just begrudgingly to Bayheim And, you know, I mean, obviously it's all about draws and stuff, but what he's done as a double-digit seed, including a Final Four, is just like, where the hell did this come from? Yeah, it's. I, I certainly think they benefit from getting out of conference this time of year where you go against teams that, I mean, San Diego State, I don't, I don't think anybody plays zone in the Mountain West. And then, I mean, Bob Huggins should have been better prepared for that game, but you get those quick turnarounds in the tournament with teams that haven't seen that zone. And I mean, their zone is not what you would see in a normal um, conference season. Anyway, it's much different. They're better at it than anybody else. So that's certainly a benefit. I'll be interested to see this week. I mean, Houston's had a whole week to prepare. They are a team that has seen a ton of zone in the uh, American and they can just pound you on the offensive board. So I think they go home this week. I think Houston takes care of them. But they, yeah, they just seem to put it together at the right time. I mean, even the ACC tournament, they blew out NC State and then took Virginia to the wire. So he, this time of year, I mean, the joke with Syracuse for a long time was they're not going to win in the tournament. And then, you know, they broke through in the last 15 years. He's He's had more success than failures. Yeah, it, it's just, it's unbelievable. And, you know, I had a tweet on the night of the bracket release that what are all these analysts doing getting up here, giving us just straight chalk, you know, and it's like, you know, it's not going to happen. No one has the guts to put up a bracket. And when you look at that region, you've got the regional semis are eight Loyola Chicago versus 12 Oregon State. 
and then 11 Syracuse versus two Houston. And guys, we were seconds literally away from it being eight, 12, 11, and 10 because the Rutgers absolutely just blew that Ooh. Houston game. And I'm, I, I know because I had that in my bracket. I had Rutgers beating Houston, and then I had Rutgers beating Syracuse to get to the Elite Eight. And I wanted to feel like a genius just at least for like a day. And man, I mean, I felt bad just because it's Rutgers. And I can't, like, when I think of losing as like a sports program, I'm, you know, lumping football into this. I mean, Rutgers has had a really tough go of it. So it would have been phenomenal for their fan base. I'm sure they're still ecstatic at what they did, but they absolutely blew that. And then you start, you know, looking at that and I don't know, it's just, it's just unbelievable. Do you guys give any shot for Creighton over Gonzaga or Villanova over Baylor? I mean, those are the two hardest ones, obviously. No, I'll answer it. I don't give any, uh, either one of them shot. Creighton, it will be a situation where they would have to be so good from the three-point line. I mean, they would have to have an out-of-body experience. And then that would only take care of one side of the floor because they would still have to deal with the other side of the floor, which I think they are ill-equipped against um, Gonzaga's uh, team, whether Gonzaga is running continuity, which they love to run, and just how Gonzaga plays on offense and some of their actions, it's just a horrible matchup for Creighton. And as far as Villanova, uh, as much as I like some of the things that they do, uh, especially offensively out there for out one end, I just don't think they have enough bullets in the chamber with, you know, obviously the Gillespie injury to um, to to run with Baylor for 40 minutes. I do think the good chunk of that game that they are going to be inhaling distance. I just think in that last five, six minutes, it's going to get away from them. Yeah, I haven't looked at spreads, but at least Villanova has, you know, Robinson Earl, who is just a handful. Nolan, do you have any any shot for any, our uh, Big East brothers? I don't think so. I, I love that Baylor team. I, yeah. I'm one of the few that kind of likes them more than Gonzaga when they're right. I mean, they kind of got slowed down by the COVID pause they had, but I think those guards are just awesome, and I like them. And then Creighton, it's they played a lot better that second half versus Ohio, but something it, it just feels off um, with them still a little bit with the McDermott stuff. I, I mean, you look at that loss to Georgetown now, and you're like, what, what the heck was that? Um, and then they just <laughs> squeaked by Santa Barbara. So I. I have all the respect in the world for Zagorowski and some of those other guys, but it's they're really up against it now. I think the biggest gut punch when I'm looking at this bracket and now thinking about what you told me about Butler is if we get a tweet in a couple of days, and it's not a gut punch for the for the player because you know I I'm pro player as well, but man, can you imagine going from beating Villanova to then you lose Wahab and then you hear Colin Gillespie's coming back? <laughs> I, I'm fully <laughs> expecting that. I, yeah, <laughs> I mean, good God, <laughs> it just and you know, speaking of matchups and, and just what what happened. So Georgetown was in the five twelve game as the twelve, which is just crazy. If you look at the other fives, obviously you got Colorado, but then Villanova and Creighton were both fives, so you can't get them. Okay, Tennessee was just absolute crap, right? Like they were in that game against Oregon State, you know, whether it's Oregon State or whatever. But when you look at it and you say, hey, you know, if Georgetown had played Tennessee, if they both played like they did in their first round game, you kind of you kind of have a toss up game. It just seems crazy how we could be looking at this so differently if they had gotten a Tennessee. Right. Or if they had gotten it, you know, if UVA had fallen and UVA looked like a team that hadn't practiced in a while. And it just I guess that that's that's just sports, right, where the margins are so thin. And you can always look and say, woulda, coulda, shoulda. But when you're looking at the bracket, it, it it's not too hard to, to kind of dream that. Or... Yeah, I mean, on paper, getting Colorado and playing in Hinkle and early Saturday 12 o'clock tip, I mean, it felt like the stars were kind of aligning. But, yeah, I mean, I was somebody who thought Colorado maybe was a good draw. Um, I thought maybe they were just a touch overrated. Being, obviously, that didn't pan out the Pac-12 as good as they've played. But yeah, in hindsight, Tennessee is who you would have wanted. They just offensively were a mess all year. Couldn't really shoot. That was that was probably the draw you wanted. Yeah, definitely. I think if they had played Tennessee, at least it would have been a game because Tennessee, 
at the very least, Tennessee would have kept Georgetown in the game. Um, but I, I I was uncomfortable with the, the Colorado uh, matchup probably more than others were uh, just because of Colorado's backcourt. That I didn't expect for Colorado to do what they did, probably uh, not in the fashion that they did. But I just there was something about that matchup um, I just did not like. Uh, but the Tennessee matchup, I have not liked Tennessee all year. Uh, so I I didn't even have Tennessee getting out the first weekend. I don't like how they play. Um, it's ironic to say that because I spent this afternoon at George Mason University at the press conference with their new coach, which, by the way, they got from the University of Tennessee. Um, but uh, I just don't I, I, I just don't think that Tennessee gets maximum out of what they have. It's kind of crazy, though, right? I mean, depending on your circle – the Kudus Wahab news does kind of overshadow what happened at George Mason. Do we like that yeah. hire? Look, I'm going to tell you right now, I love it. And obviously, as you know, I, I have skin in that game. Um, yeah. I, I love it. And I was pumping gas on the way to George Mason when the thing with Q came over. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. I, I was like, I was still thinking, as soon as I got uh, in the arena this afternoon, you know, the conversation centered around Georgetown, I'm not going to lie, for as much as, with the exception of obviously some of the former George Mason players, da, 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 da. but with, with some of the people who work at George Mason and some of the media, we were talking Georgetown when we first walked in there. Um, do I like the tire? Absolutely. I like the idea that he wants to play four out, four out one in and, and five out dribble drive in the way that Alabama plays it more than in the way that Villanova plays it. Um, that would mean you have to change the way you're recruiting. Uh, you have to recruit players that are uh, more playmakers and less complimentary and less, you know, the sum of parts type of deal, uh, which is kind of how Paulson uh, recruited. So it, it's definitely and, – and for a coach to come out there in an introductory press conference where it's supposed to love me, love me, love me, tell me how great I am – he is he is literally speaking to the players on the side with two of them who are currently in the transfer portal saying, I'm telling you right here from the microphone in front of everybody, this is the reason why I am re-recruiting you, and this is the reason why I want you to come back, and I'm saying it in front of everybody. We'll turn this press conference into me re-recruiting you and not me being celebrated for getting my first head coaching job. And, and, and that was, in a way, for me, refreshing. I want a guy who's going to push it up, press it up, play modern basketball, play that sort of way. And, and frankly, um, I'm looking forward to it. I thought it was a great hire. Yes, you can say this in any hope of kind of reliving, bringing someone back from um, the Laranega era. You know, there was a couple of guys from that era that were mentioned for this job. Um, and that the university – for the first time in I don't know how long, looks like it's willing to invest in athletics, you know, a non-football school in athletics that will be part of our brand as opposed to just something at the school. And, and frankly, I'm looking forward to it. Nolan, you're not from around this area, at least that I think. What do you think about the George Mason job just in general? It's felt like the A-10's been a, kind of tough for them to fit into, but I think he'll get players. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I mean, he's 32 years old. He's going to connect with guys. Um, style of play is going to be attractive to kids. It it seems like really a no-brainer. I mean, him or if they had hired Tony Skin, uh, like Marcus said, with the George Mason connections, it didn't feel like they could really go wrong. I, I like Dave Paulson, um, but it never really felt like a fit. And it just kind of got stale there. He never could really get it off the ground. So I think for them, I mean, he was going to win the press conference overwhelmingly. And it seems like he did that today. From everything I saw on Twitter from George Mason fans, they're they're loving every bit of it. Yeah, I'll be interested. I don't know if any of the staff is going to stay. I know that's unusual. Although when there's a coaching change here at Georgetown, the staff did stay. So you know, Dwayne Simpkins, it'll, it'll just be interesting, I think, from a Georgetown standpoint, because, you know, Ewing has gone pretty long without a, a change in his staff. He hasn't made one except, you know, I guess Wallace left to go to the Nuggets. 
um, but he wasn't, you know, one of the one of the three assistants. So Marcus, I don't, I don't know if, if he's announced staff or not, but I think that's the most interesting point if we want to connect this to Georgetown. Yeah, well, I um, we all got well, not we all. Um, I did was fortunate enough to get a one on one with him, and I asked him about his staff, and he has uh, one guy who uh, has very strong international ties. Uh, the other uh, position went to Dennis Felton, we all know from Western Kentucky. So I asked him for the third position, was he going to hire, was he going to consider someone from the previous staff? And he said, absolutely. And there was two guys from the previous staff that was at um, the press conference. So I'm assuming that those two are vying for that last spot, that third spot. So you're talking about uh, Simpkins? Yes, he was one. So wait, you said he's adding Dennis Felton to the to the staff? Yes. The former coach at Georgia? West, yeah, Western Kentucky, Georgia. Yeah, okay. Because, yeah, so I thought it was odd that when Fordham's coach got fired in the middle of the year that they didn't promote him to the acting or the interim coach. They went with a younger guy. So De- Dennis Felton's basically going to be like his Louis Orr, except <laughs> Ewing and Orr are basically contemporaries where Dennis Felton and Kim English are not. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. You know, I, again, I, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen with Ewing staff or guys are always looking, you know, usually the final four that spot to kind of mingle and um, you know, network and all that stuff. But I think it would be, I think that's the most interesting part is those pieces of, of staffs. And I don't have any inside information as far as Georgetown that they're looking to shake up their staff. I just will point out that it's unusual to have a staff in place this long, whether you want to go a different direction as the head coach or, other opportunities arise that the assistant wants to take. You guys see me on that? I feel you. I mean, if you're, it's a weird spot because I mean, Louis Orr is his guy. And I mean, Kirby seems, I mean, how old is Kirby now? He's got to be in his sixties, isn't he? I think, I think Ewing Orr and Kirby are all relatively close in age. Yeah. So it's kind of odd where, um, Waheed, he would be the only guy who might make either a lateral move or an upward trajectory with his career. So, yeah, one guy I was – because Archie Miller, the Indiana thing, Kenya Hunter ended up being in Indiana with him, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, if you talk about guys who might be out there, I mean, he's certainly one you're familiar with. Who uh, It seemed like he was always on good terms with the Thompsons. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he was – I guess one and done with Indiana because UConn had him and then he went to IU. So there's, I mean, every off season there's names out there if they, if they want to shake anything up. To me over the weekend, it sounded like it was between, well, Kim English was the big Twitter rumor and all that stuff, but it also seemed like maybe Jason Williford was in the mix and UVA's had so much success. Um, I know there's a former UVA assistant at Liberty. The name is escaping me, but, I think it's hard to get excited for that style. Yeah, they they opened up a little bit more this year, but yes, uh, as a whole, I can understand where um, it is kind of hard to get excited about having that there, especially when you're making a coaching change, and and part of the reason why you're making that coaching change is so um, it could be more stylistically attractive to keep. Uh, not only your current players, but also to attract recruits. Rich, Richie McKay is the guy at Liberty that was with Virginia for for a while with Bennett. Sorry. I know everyone's really concerned about that. But, okay. I was looking it up. I was looking <laughs> it up, so. And, you know, one last thing I'll, we'll say about that is, and I know Marcus agrees, it'll be interesting when we figure out, and I know it's kind of invasive because – I don't think we'd like people to know how much we made necessarily, but when you work for these public institutions, you can figure out how much the coaches are making, whether just going online and finding the most recent data or doing a freedom of information request and figuring out what all their bonuses and weird little things are in their contract. And I think that, you know, Mason should be paying top level for a 10 coach. And my guess is for King English, you don't really have to do that. Not saying he can't be a great coach at a bargain price, but would you guys agree that they're probably not paying them what what they're paying at Dayton right now? I, I would say maybe I, I think that I would say he's probably getting paid more than the last coach. Oh, I feel like young guy hasn't been a head coach yet. I feel like that's prime lowballing material. <laughs> well, 
young guy that you got off a Power 5 bench with a new administration here at the university. Okay. And I well, think that gives you uh, more of a hope of of making more than the last guy because it was obvious that the change in the administration at the university um, kind of changed way changed things on how the basketball program is being looked at and taken care of. Well, Marcus, we can have a bet on it, and then at some point we can just yep. find out online. <laughs> hey, I'll bet you a box of pop tarts on it. <laughs> Oh man, I'm not getting the pumpkin ones. Those are not very good. <laughs> Guys, I want to thank you so much. I think we've exhausted all the non-Georgetown talk that we can do. The pod ended up being longer because I would have never envisioned that we would be speaking about Cutis Wahab transferring to who knows where. I just it completely caught me off guard. I thought if there was a center transfer, it would not be him, but it was, and that's just the way it's going right now for Georgetown. So if you found this pod, that's awesome. Keep listening, subscribe, rate us. Um, let me know what we're doing right or wrong. You can get at both of these guys on Twitter at Nationwide Nolan at MTC with Mook. Those guys are really good basketball follows, and they will engage as long as you are nice. And even if you're not nice, but definitely <laughs> if you're nice. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks. All right, thanks, guys.